How would you react if you were given a life-threatening diagnosis in your 50s? This week, we're going to talk about going from wheelchair to weightlifting champion and how my guest, Kimra here, has gone on to inspire other women in their 50s to drop the weight, get strong and boost their energy. It's inspiring and filled with practical tips. So join me. Hey everyone, it's Clarissa here from the Thriving Through Menopause podcast. You know, as I talk to women around the world, I know that more than ever, we're looking for holistic ways to manage our menopause and to feel empowered that we're in control of our own health and healing during this vital life transition. I sit down each week with amazing guests to talk about ideas, strategies, approaches and opportunities to help us thrive through menopause. Episodes drop every Tuesday, so I hope that you'll join us. And I have a little request for you, that if you find value from the stories, lessons and wisdom that we share, I'd like you to support this podcast. One way you can do that is to hop on to wherever you listen to podcasts, like and subscribe and share it so that others can hear the messages too. You might want to buy me a coffee to help me keep this podcast up and running. And I'd love you to subscribe to my newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Don't forget, episodes drop every Tuesday and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being part of this community, listening to this podcast, and I hope that you enjoy the new content that's coming up in this new season. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause, and I have such an inspirational guest for you today. Her name is Kim Rahir. She's based in Madrid. She has an amazing story of her own health issue that she has worked through and how that's brought her to working with her passion around muscle and strength and what all that entails for midlife women. So welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, Kim. Thank you for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here. It's my absolute pressure. But your story is that you were diagnosed 10 years ago in your 50s with MS. And when we hear that, most people think, well, that's a life sentence. That's, that's it. That's over for me. But you have turned that around. You have become a European champion in master's weightlifting for your age group. And you have now an inspirational business working with women and helping them turn their health and well-being around. But go back 10 years ago. I mean, MS, we hear that word. We're really quite frightened, aren't we, Kim? How did that make you feel? I was absolutely terrified. I was terrified because it's such an unpredictable illness. You will learn, I mean, you start Googling, of course, when somebody tells you this is what you've got. And that was also for me like a waiting period because you are only officially diagnosed when you've had your second episode. So I had my first episode at the end of 2011. And then because of the like nomenclatura they have, once you've had your second, then you're diagnosed. So I spent like a year hoping, thinking, no, it's not going to happen again. 
I'm going to be okay. I'm just going to be that, you know, one episode, so maverick. And then it did happen again. It was a very minor second episode. And I only noticed that something was going on because I was do doing a weird yoga pose for fun. <laughs> and I felt a weird ting tingling in my back. So I went to the doctors and yes, there was a second they called it a relapse. And then I was officially diagnosed with MS. And that's the most scary thing of all, because first, you don't know how it's going to turn out. You have no idea. You start Googling, you start seeing all kinds of things that could happen. And what the doctors do is they put you in that box and then they prescribe the standard treatment, which in my case was, was injecting yourself three times a week with something called interferon beta. Oh, yeah. So three times a week, you feel like you have the flu. You are really miserable. <sighs> and the scariest thing about that is, let's just imagine, and it was my case, from then on, you know, you get the treatment and you are symptom-free. You don't have any relapse. How are you ever going to dare stopping that treatment? You don't know if it's, you know, if you've gotten better or if it's the treatment that helps you. And when I was first diagnosed, I spent an hour in my doctor's office fighting him. I didn't want to start the treatment. And he was very patient for a while. <laughs> At the end, he got very Im impatient and said, well, that's what we've got to do. And then he sort of gave me three months. But in September 2013, like 10 years ago, I started the treatment. And the feeling I had with this, you know, like from a more emotional point of view was actually that there's a deep in your soul, there's like a door that opens and behind the door is blackness. And you don't know, you know, because it's fear, it's, it's uncertainty. And my kids were still pretty young. They were like 11 and 9 and 13. And you just don't know what to do. And all I wanted was, you know, keep that door shut inside of me. I don't want to see that blackness. I don't want to acknowledge it. And... It's, it's so scary that you have to do something that I now recommend that I tell everybody who is in a situation like that. You have to get yourself out of the big picture. The big picture, you have no idea where you're going. The road is long and you have no idea where it's going to turn, where it's going to get you. Get out of the big picture. Focus on today. And you know, not in this way I live in the moment and it's easy to say, but you really think, what can I do now? What can I do next? My next step, my next meal, my next activity. So it's, it's a bit of, you know, denial because you just, you, know, you just don't want to see this thing, but it's what keeps you going because otherwise you might just crumble in despair. Wow. I mean, that that's huge. And I mean, that was the only solution they had. They didn't, ever talk to you about exercise or diet or mental health management. They just was, here's this drug, take it three times a week. That's it. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was even, I, I had got two opinions. The doctors said, yeah, exercise. I don't know. I told them that I used to do strength training, that I loved it. Of course, you stop when you have a relapse, you know, because it, it's not possible. And they said, can I go back to and then he gave the typical answer that so many doctors give, because I'm quite frankly, I think they're not trained enough in what exercise can actually do for health. No. So he would just say something like, yeah, you can exercise, but you know, you know, do it gently, B12, 
be very careful, you know, then so many doctors, even like orthopedists tell you, oh, just go swimming. What? <laughs> you, have, you know, you have, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you are, your body is, is incapable of, you know, holding you up against gravity and you get muscular and joint pains. So the solution they, they provide is take your body out of gravity and do something, you know, where, where you will not be trained. Your body will not be trained against gravity. The second opinion I got, and that was what got me going, was actually a nurse. Uh, she welcomed me. She explained the treatment and how to administer it. And then she said, oh, you like to exercise. That's actually a pretty good idea because we know from experience that fatigue is one of the big, big symptoms in MS. And exercise makes you fatigue resistant over time. And I thought, ah, here we go. Wonderful. That's a point I can work with. And I just decided to go back to training because, yes, I do have lesions, but I can move normally. And I said, you know, heck, this doctor probably doesn't really know what he's talking about, and I'm just going to give it a go. Wow. So you went back to your weight training or resistance training. And did you actually then evolve that? Because, I mean, you've now been a master weightlifting person. <laughs> Where were you at that stage in 2013? Were you just going to the gym or was it more? Yes. Wow. I was just going to the gym. I already had bought into lifting heavier than what most uh, women do yeah. before because I had read this book. With, it has a super funny title, but it's, it's a lovely book. It's called Lift Like a Man, Look Like a Goddess. And I read that like five years before. I thought it was great, and it, and it gave you all kinds of information and then real workouts, what to do to actually start lifting heavy as a woman. And, you know, not those half-pound half pink dumbbells, but <laughs> actually lift. Yes. So that's, that's what I did. And I got stronger. You could, I could feel myself getting stronger every week. It was absolutely amazing. And that's something I think is so so empowering and that's why strength training has such amazing effects on your overall life yeah because as there's a strength trainer in the u.s his name is dan john and he's extremely inspiring and he always says one thing he says the body is one piece so that includes your body and your mind when you go lifting you just get positive feedback you feel yes. good about yourself yes. you feel empowered you feel confident and that carries over to um, the rest of your life. So after another year, so in 2014, we made another move because my family always moved like every four years from country to country. Yes. My husband is a journalist. And we moved to Spain. And the first thing I did was find a gym, what I always do. I started training and I became sort of more and more courageous braver Wonderful. and I made friends in the gym and they suggested for example let's do a mud obstacle race so I started experimenting with with stuff and doing things I probably would never have dared in my 30s I was 51 and I said yeah let's let's go do that and then but just by chance I worked with a personal trainer and he said have you ever tried Olympic weightlifting you know it's two exercises the thing is you have to put the bar overhead one is in one move and the other is in two moves. It's called the snatch and the clean and jerk. Yeah. I said, have you ever tried this? And I said, oh, 
no, let's do this. So he started teaching me the movements and I was hooked right away because it's a fantastic mix of strength and technique. So yeah. it's not, not just brute strength. You have to work with, with, we have to work against gravity to get the bar overhead. And I was so hooked that I actually changed gyms. I went to a pure weightlifting club. Oh. I started training there. And I, I swear after two weeks of me training there, they said, hey, Kim, how do you feel about competing? And they said, what? <laughs> Man, I'm over 50. And they say, so what? I said, you mean I can compete at this age? They say, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> and then I say, okay, let's do this. Yeah. And I think it's because of my journey of learning how you can get stronger. And if you challenge yourself, you can do things yeah. that I was actually, you know, I was game. I said, yeah, let's do this. I had, I had no fear. Wow. And, and I'm pretty sure, as I said before, in my 30s, I would probably not have had the courage to do this. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And I think that's a really important point there, Kim, that when we are a bit older, we're like, okay, let's give it a go. You know, I think our mindset is, is a lot, can be a lot different. And of course, you had this overhanging MS there. You probably thought, well, I don't know how long I've got maybe to go or before I can't. So why not? I mean, that must have been more of an inspiration than a, than a setback for you. That's absolutely the case. And it's something that some people still don't understand when I say, I'm actually grateful for this happening to me because it totally changed my perspective. And until today, every day I go training, deep inside, I am aware that this might be the last time I do this. I mean, I've been symptom-free for years and years. And here in Spain, I even met a doctor who took me off my treatment six years ago, which is an absolute gift. But that's the thing. The whole thing for me is a gift. And when you're in your 50s, you are aware. I think you know in your bones. Because in our brain, even when we're 15, we know that we're not going to live forever. But when you're 50, you, you know it in your bones. Yeah. And for me, every day is a gift. And every challenge that I can take on, I will take on because it makes you feel so alive. You can't imagine how it feels to step on that platform. They call your name oh. and it's you. You have to go out there. And that's very, very empowering. It's exhilarating. It's scary, but it makes you feel alive. And I think because I have, you know, at the, at the worst point of my journey, I was in a wheelchair. So I, I now know that this is a gift that I have to embrace and enjoy every single day. Yeah. Oh, so true. I so true. And I think that's true for anyone that meets difficult health problems that we suddenly sit back and we go, oh, okay, things could be, and I see that with cancer patients as well, with people like yourself, other people go, okay, now is my, I have to grasp life because this is it. This day, as you said, is the day that I have. And of course, this strength training is much more than building up your muscles, isn't it, Kim? Yes, it's, I think it's the one-stop shop solution, actually. I know that is only, but only slightly exaggerated, but it's the 
single biggest lever that you can pull for your health. And we know that now, like 20, 30 years ago, that was not quite as obvious and it hadn't been researched by by science as much. Most people, when they hear weightlifting or strength training, they still have images of the 70s with Arnold pumping iron and stuff. And it's it's not that at all. Yes, uh, muscular strength will enhance the quality of life that you experience like tremendously because you will just be able to face everyday tasks so much more easily. But it will do so many more things for you. Of course, your bone health, and this is crucial for women our age. Yes. We start losing yes. bone density at an increased rate from 35 onwards, and we need to load those muscles. Yes. And walking will not cut it. And even Pilates and yoga, which are great things to do, they will not load the bones in the way that resistance training will. So yeah. you look after your bone health. You look after your joints, because when you have muscles to support them, the load they have to carry is reduced and they will stay healthier and, and more functional for yes. such a long time. Yes. And now there's another thing that's, that most people don't know. And I find this, it's, it's another really super powerful lever to pull. Muscle mass, if you increase it, it will improve your blood sugar management, your body's yes. blood sugar management. Because the body stores sugar in two organs, your liver and the muscle. Yes. So when you have some decent muscle mass, you always have like storage space for sugar. Yes. You don't have all that sugar circulating in your blood. And that's, that's an incredible asset to have. And this is also why people who are like pre-diabetic or insulin resistant, they need strength training yes. like yesterday yes. to improve yes. that part of their health. Absolutely. There's I mean, that's the big thing, this insulin resistance that is happening to so many people and women today, um, which is leading to this kind of body with the belly and the weight all down. And diet alone isn't going to correct it. No, especially because the way we approach dieting is still in this idea. This is um, a temporary and be restrictive approach yeah. that yeah. we use. Yes. So many women still think what you do is like for two weeks or two months, you change the way you eat. You restrict yourself. You cut out entire food groups. You lower your calories. You try everything to shrink which first of all is extremely hard to do. You'll be miserable. Second, it's not sustainable. So sooner or later you will fall back into old habits. And third, dieting like that will eat into your muscle mass. That's, that's the big, big problem. Yes. And if you have a history of dieting, you've probably reduced your muscle mass and throttled your metabolism in a way that then leads to you thinking, I eat less and less and I can't lose weight. What's going on? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. So, so it has so many benefits, doesn't it, Kim, to get back in the gym. But, but more than that, I mean, what are some of the lessons beyond that that, it, that beginning to lift this taught you personally? I think that overcoming resistance is just something that 
you want to learn and that is an asset for for the rest of your life. And when I say overcoming resistance, I say like this on purpose because you learn in the gym that there is a resistance and that you are able to overcome it. And that's, that will give you a sense of empowerment. It will change your attitude and your mindset in other parts of your life too. You will know, you will have experienced, and that's also, I think it's very important that we experience things in ourselves because you can get tons and tons of motivational messages, people telling you, you can do it and you can overcome that challenge and yes, and thrive in adversity. It sounds fantastic, but I think when you have experienced it yourself, it can be so much more powerful and it will lead to you. And it's actually, I, you know, we're not going to go there, but it's actually, it seems to be like it's neural pathways that you actually build and train. Yes. You, you face a resistance or a challenge and your reaction is, well, how can I deal with this? How can I go beyond this? How can I overcome this? And you will keep that attitude and that response to adversity or challenges or resistance to what you want to do. You will keep that in other areas of your life too. That's why it's so, so empowering. And you will even be able to deal better with your inner resistance because that's something that we that we have too i mean who wants to get up in the morning and start you know go lifting weights or i don't know eat chicken and broccoli whatever it is anything (laughs) (laughs) anything we want most of the time we want to lie in bed and go oh no is it morning i'm pretty tired (laughs) yes this is also something a very important message that I share with everyone as often as I can, this reaction of wanting to stay put, of wanting to eat as much as we can and move as little as is allowed, is it's hardwired into us. That's what we evolved to be like because it has helped humanity survive. We, because food was scarce yes. and movement was Movement was costly and energy, and energy was precious. Now, our modern living conditions have turned this whole thing around, and there's too much food and there's too little movement. The problem with that is when we feel this resistance, we don't want to move. We do want to eat. We do want to sit on the sofa and have a bag of crisps. (laughs) We then tend to conclude, and I hear this from women all the time, and it breaks my heart. It is interpreted as a character trait, as a personal quality, like I have no self-control. I am so undisciplined. I just can't stick with stuff. I can't control my eating. When it's just a life force that's inside of us, and it's just, I want to normalize that. Just, It's totally normal. Of course, we don't want to move. Because we've evolved to try and save energy, and especially women. We are, you know, we are designed as sort of energy, walking energy stores for reproduction. Yeah. Of course we don't want to move. No. And once you acknowledge that and you can, you know, you can call sort of your, your primal inner being, you can call it out, then you can work with that. If you blame it on your character or your personal traits or your lack of virtue, then you're just going to be 
desperate and, and, and discouraged and, and not feel good about that. Absolutely. And I think we forget that for millions of years, we, we were very much hunter-gatherer people. We lived hand-to-mouth at the, most, the um, environment. And we did had periods of fasting. So, yes, so absolutely. yes, so, so we were used to, as you said, being hungry, maybe going for a few days with very little food and then having food and then so naturally, and if it's not very safe or it's very cold or whatever it is outside, you sort of huddle up, try and keep warm and keep going. But we sit all day. People sit all day now. They sit from in the car, as we said earlier, to going to the work. We sit at our desks. We sit in meetings. We sit in our car, we come home, we sit on the couch. So we've not moved naturally like we, like we would have done, like our ancestors would have done who got up, even if they were getting up to put wood on the fire, they were squatting down, they didn't have nice comfy chairs to sit in. They're using muscles there that we don't use today. Yes, and that leads to a big problem that many people are not aware of you know, one very specific one is that we don't use our glutes. They become weakened atrophy because of all the sitting. So our the the muscles in our buttocks. Yeah. And they are they are so strong and so powerful, so important for our health, for our posture, for for everything. And what happens, you know, with most the, the all the main muscles in your body, there's some kind of de disconnection that happens mm -hmm. because our brains are like brutal pragmatists and you know, you're not using your buttock muscles. Then the brain say, Oh, apparently we don't need this. Yeah. So I'm not going to waste energy on sort of activating or communicating with those muscles if we are not using them, <laughs> which happens to, to yeah. end up like a disconnect between your brain and your muscles. And it's a very important point to acknowledge yeah. when you've been sedentary, for a long time and you want to become active again you have to reactivate that connection yes. first i talk to so many women who have the best of intentions they say i'm going to do a couch to 5k i'm going to start lifting i want to do hit high intensity interval training because i want to move and i want to burn that fat and i want to become active but they skip that first step where they have to make sure that their brain can actually properly activate and use those muscles that have been fallen into disuse. And when they don't do that, so many of them get hurt yes. and injured. Yes. And that's in such a big setback that you know, so many just don't try again or we are in pain for so much time and, and sort of give up on their goals, which is a, really a pity. That's a pity. So when women come to you and they haven't exercised and we and I've said this many times there's a huge percentage of women who do no exercise in a given week where do you start with them to get them going based on that we have to activate some of these muscles well the, the first thing I do is I have a zoom session with them and I look at how they move And you don't need like a big, super long workout session or anything. You just look at some very basic movements and look, how can they do them? Like, can they get down and back up off the floor, you know, without holding on to a piece of furniture? 
things like that. And you, you look which parts of their body, bodies lack strength or mobility and that two are connected because mobility in the, in the joint means also that like the opposing muscle yeah. actually has the strength yes. to pull that joint into that direction. Yeah. And then I start with very gentle activation exercises in very safe positions like lying on the floor, working your glutes very gently to sort of wake them up. And this can take anywhere from you know, four to 12 weeks just to get that connection again and make sure that it's safe. So it's very gentle, very short sessions, lots of it lying down on the floor. And then when you can't go down on the floor and some women actually struggle, get down on the floor. Yes. Then we start, then we start with gentle stuff, standing up, just starting to move joints through their range of motion yeah. very gently. Yeah. So, so they sort of, reconnect and and get into this movement pattern again which yeah. for many has been lost yeah i think that's that's so great kim because i think when we go to the gym we can and gyms are great if you like them i mean i don't like them so i don't really i don't go but but yes we often want to go too far too fast as you said start doing too much and for some of us some women just being able to squat down is impossible to be able to, let alone do things like bend forward and touch toes or stretch up without hiking up shoulders. You know, we're, they're not ready to begin a weights program until some, there's some basic body strength built up. Absolutely. That's also why many of the women I work with, they exercise at home because they don't want to go to a gym. There's a whole other chapter, you know, about gym anxiety yeah. or knowing what to yes. do there or feeling out of place. There's also something that we, you know, need to work on, but you can perfectly exercise at home and get lots of results. And most of the stuff that's out there, and I think this is a, this is a big one that we have to sort of spread the word, is just not made for women our age, not no. made for women who've no. been sedentary for a long time. There's fantastic stuff on YouTube, great workouts, super routines, very effective, very powerful, but they're just not for you if you they're haven't uh, trained in a long time. Yeah. And it even goes so far as working with personal trainers. I've heard mm -hmm. so many stories from women our age. They hire a personal trainer and it's heartbreaking actually because they're yes. doing something they're investing they're yes. wanting to do something and then when you're very unlucky you and i i'm not bashing my colleagues everybody no, no. does their job in the best way they know i don't want to no, criticize no. them but when you're like a 20 year old man you have no first hand experience or knowledge of how it feels to be in a 50 or 60 year old body no. yes you know that you need to move, and if you if I don't move this muscle, it's gonna yeah. like have this effect. And if I eat so much protein, I'm probably gonna go grow more muscle. They, they know all that, but there's yeah. the, the big picture is just not there. No. So even with a personal trainer, you you can sort of get you can get hurt or not get results or feel overwhelmed. Yes, and some women even tell me when they work with a trainer that they feel humiliated yeah. in the gym yeah, because I they're I'm asked not surprised. to do things. I'm not surprised. Yeah. You're being humiliated. I mean, 
I had uh, some guy saying to me, you do this. And I said, well, actually, I can't do that right now because I'm not strong enough. And he's like, well, you can. I said, I can't. So I'm going to do this. And they don't like you being, you know, very strong. I mean, he was kind of a bit of an alpha male. And I was like, I don't care because I actually can't do that right now. I'm not strong enough to do that. And, and, and I think women get pushed into doing things or they get disheartened and they say, I'm never coming back to this gym again. I'm not coming to this class. It's too much for me. And sometimes those classes look fantastic. And the other women in the class are students. They're 20. They have a lot more strength and mobility and not the same pain as women who are 50, 60. It's a different game altogether. Yeah. And that plays into this thing that I hear all the time so many women when they reach midlife and it could be like from their mid 40s onward they feel invisible because they're not they're not seen they're not acknowledged their needs are are not acknowledged and i think that's that's something we really have to work on yeah. you know to raise our voices and say you know it's this is all good for you But we need something else. Yes. We need, you know, a different approach. And the reaction now for most women is to say, oh, the gym, I'll never set foot in there again. Or what strength training? That's only like for buff guys. When you can actually adapt it and, and make it, you know, the most powerful and, and exhilarating tool that is out there. If you find the right approach and if you take into account the special needs of Of people who are not 20 anymore and yeah. who, you know, have lived a life and have high mileage joints, they can still move and they can still benefit from movement. And that needs to be catered to very urgently. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. I think, I think it's coming in places, but it's not a universal that we can build up strength. I think we're gaining inspiration from people like yourself. Train with Joan. I think Joan is like 70. She's always on social media and showing that it's possible almost at any age, isn't it, Kim, to, to turn to reverse this atrophy almost of our muscles and a loss of bone density and turn that around. Absolutely. And there's actually studies, and I think they go back like 30 years where they went into retirement homes and had people do gentle strength exercises and even people in their 90s grow stronger and build some muscle so it's it's a mechanism that our body will uh, repeat over and over yeah. again if you stimulate it properly it's and right. this is also something it's so dear to my heart this message it's never too late you just you need to start where you are at and you have to acknowledge where you're at and you have to be unapologetic about where you're at because you are where you are for very, very valid and legitimate reasons. That's, you know, also a part of the problem that, yes, we may have made choices that are not, you know, beneficial for our health, some women for decades, but these choices were made for a reason. It's, it's the same thing. It's not a character trait that leads you to, you know, neglect self-care. Now, for women, it's most of the time because we've been looking after everybody else. Yes, definitely. You have to put, and sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes you do have to care for your children. You may just be you with your child or children. Sometimes we have 
become the only carer of our parents. And that's just sometimes the way it works out. But after that time, it doesn't, well, none of those things last forever. We can come back, can't we, and begin to focus on ourselves. Yes, I, I think you've touched on a very important point there because when we reach midlife and perimenopause and menopause, yeah. it's not all about hormones. There are so many things in our lives that happen at that time too. Our kids are grown, but they still need us. You know, we mentioned this. They, you know, they can still be quite care intensive. Yes. It's different, but they need you. Maybe you've been in your job for a long, long time and you sort of feel, you feel a bit bored or you feel like you have no real perspective in your career. You've maybe been in a relationship for a long time and starting to ask yourself questions there. And you're, you know, you feel yourself sort of getting older. Your parents are old. And then it's most of the time, from what I observe, this is totally anecdotal. It's not, it's not statistics or anything. But what I see is it's the daughters that are sort of naturally expected to look after their, their aging parents. Those are all challenges that come, you know, that you're facing in that time of your life plus the changes in your body. So yes. it's not only hormonal, it's also no. environmental. Yes. And when you become aware of that, you can start sort of dealing with that or managing it. If you all take it back to yourself and that you feel that you're under-functioning and that you are powerless or that you are, you know, like you have no discipline or you just don't know how to get things done, you know, that leaves you in despair. Whereas when you analyze, find the situations and define the situations where you're struggling, you can start dealing with that, start looking at what's going on here and how can I manage, how can I deal with this and still look after myself in a, in a meaningful way. Exactly. And we don't need a lot of time every day, do we, to keep our muscle strength going? Not at all, not at all. I insist and for, you know, Quite a few months when you start working with me, I give you 15 minutes per day of training, not more, yeah. for various reasons. First yeah. of all, because we want to be gentle. Yeah. We want to do, we don't want, you know, like a hammer blow to our, our brain and body <laughs> to sort of no. massacre ourselves into, into action. So it has to be gentle. It has to be very, very time efficient. It has to be efficient. Because all the things we mentioned, you know, we have busy lives. Yes. <clears throat> it's not like just, be, just because we feel invisible doesn't mean that everybody is not clamoring for our attention <laughs> and our help and, and our energy. So it has to be short. And then there's another important part about this. And that's the, our inner resistance to change, yes. actually. Yes. If I say, come on, Clarissa, I'm going to give you a one-hour workout three times a week. Go ahead. You can do it. Something in your side is going to say, what, an hour? I can't do this. And you will find reasons to not do it because your schedule is so tight, because you had a particular appointment on that day that took a lot of time. If I make it 15 minutes and I tell you, you can do that first thing in the morning in your pajamas, the resistance goes down exactly. and you're much more likely to do it. And that's also a very important part that we have to acknowledge. It's not only about the right thing to do 
you can Google, you know, all day long and you'll find that you have to exercise and to eat better. But how to fit that into your day, how to build that into your routine, that's also an entire skill set. And we have to take that into account if we want to have results. Yeah, I really like that because I actually think that when people see guidelines, you have to do 150 or 75 hours. That suddenly becomes quite a daunting figure. In reality, it's probably only two half-hour sessions. But if that means you have to travel to the gym, go to the session, travel back, get changed, that's not 75 minutes. That's 150 or 200 minutes. So in fact, it's always a lot more. But as you said, could I get out and do 15 minutes every day? Well, yes, I could. And that's also a great way of creating momentum. Yes. Because when you start small, mm-hmm. um, you create small wins. And the small wins, they will motivate you to keep going. Exactly. And that's how it, you know, it becomes a virtuous cycle. Whereas when you go like all or nothing, you know, you will like 99.9% of the times you end up with nothing. Because <laughs> you know, all or, perf- or perfection is not attainable. And then you think, oh, I might as well give up. I'm never going to get there. Yeah, but perfection isn't the isn't the goal, is it? Not at all. And I that's a very it's it's a crucial mindset shift it that is. we and I think many women our age have this tendency of wanting to be perfect everything because we are doing so much for the other people in our lives. Yes. Or we would never sort of expect perfection, you know, or or claim perfection for what people do for us we'd always say no that's fine that'll do that's okay but because we're always after you know looking after other people helping them we want that to be perfect because you know we do it for the love yeah and then if we stick stick to this perfectionism mindset then we're going to get discouraged so so quickly we have to think in small steps and then also reassess every day every hour every minute What's the small step that I can take now? Exactly. Just now. Don't worry about tomorrow. And that goes back to my, to my revelation when I was ill. The big picture is great. Great goals are fantastic. But what will really move you forward and help you keep going is focusing on the next tiny step that you can take in this moment. Yeah. That is wonderful, wonderful advice. Kim, I love what you're doing, your energy, and also your, your sort of very practical approach to this. If my listeners want to get in touch with you, do that first Zoom session and get moving. How does that happen? Well, they can go to my website, Kim, kimrahir.com, and on there they can book a, an assessment call, which is a free call, and it's not a sales call. We just have an honest conversation about where you're at and what you can do next to get better, the next step, this small step that you can take. And you can also follow me on Facebook. I'm there under Kim Rahir and I share, you know, my journey, fun stuff, resources almost every day. That's fantastic. I love that. We're going to put that in the show notes. Kim, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, how it's inspired you, and how it's inspiring you to help others. I'm so grateful for you doing this. Thank you so much, Clarissa. It was really a pleasure being here, and thank you for spreading the message too and for standing up for women our age. 
being visible and claiming their space. Thank you. We definitely do that here with you guests like yourself. Well, I hope you feel as inspired as I do after listening to Kim talking about coming back from such a life-threatening illness and building a completely new life for herself. And I think you should be inspired. I felt inspired that we can drop the weight, we can get strong and we can have energy, that we can do that ourselves, that lies within our own capacity by taking on board small steps to big change. Next week, I'm going to be joined by functional nutritionist and wellness practitioner, Jennifer Woodward. We're going to be talking about HRT, our diets, and the importance of coping with stress in perimenopause and menopause. So I hope you'll join me. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe and share wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week. In the meantime, go well.